At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying his word together. Today, we invite you to tune in for our current series, Revealed, stories with purpose as we study the parables of Jesus, reading stories with the power to reveal God's truth in our lives. Well, I'm excited to continue to worship God as we open his word. And if you've been with us at all over the last few weeks, you know that we are working our way through the gospel of Luke in this relatively brief series, looking at the different parables of Jesus that he spoke as Luke tells it. And this morning we're in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14 is the short parable that we're looking at today. If you open up the Bible to the New Testament, about three quarters of the way through, Matthew, Mark, Luke is the gospel that we're in today. Chapter 18, verses 9 through 14. But before I read this parable, I want to give you a little bit of context as it regards the two main characters that Jesus lays out for us in this parable. The first main character Jesus refers to as a Pharisee. So if you've read the Gospels before, then you're likely familiar with this group of Jews known as Pharisees. They were well known for being strict adherents to the commands of God in the Old Testament. I've mentioned before that the Pharisees added laws to the laws of God so that they wouldn't even come close to breaking the laws laid out in the Old Testament. And we're going to see a little bit within this parable, the Pharisee mentioning several aspects of his religious devotion. That's the first character, the Pharisee. The other main character Jesus refers to as a tax collector. And again, if you've read the Gospels, then you've probably heard of this group before. One of the Gospel writers, Matthew, was himself a tax collector before he started following Jesus. And it's important to know that tax collectors were deeply despised within the culture of the New Testament. Tax collectors, this is what they did. They were Jews who were employed by the Roman Empire to collect taxes from other Jews and then send the money back to Rome. So I mentioned this a few weeks ago. Tax collectors were less popular than even the IRS is in our own day. At least when we send our checks to the IRS, they're spending that money on our government. But when these Jews sent their money through tax collectors, it was going far away to being spent on the Roman emperor's will. So tax collectors were deeply despised for working with Israel's foreign occupier, Rome. In Matthew 21, Jesus twice communicates that tax collectors had the same kind of reputation as prostitutes. That's how dishonorable it was to be a tax collector. So we have two very contrasting people that Jesus is going to tell us about. There's the patriotic, law-abiding, religiously faithful Pharisee, and there's the immoral, unpopular, traitorous tax collector. So let's read this parable and hear what Jesus has to teach us through this story. Brothers and sisters, hear the word of our God. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, 
and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Two men went up to the temple to pray. For the first man, the incline toward the temple was not enough to slow him down. With every step, the Pharisees' confidence grew. He was certain that God would be pleased with his prayer. He was certain that God would be impressed with his religious devotion. And once the Pharisee arrives in the temple, he fearlessly makes his way inside, heads to the center of the sanctuary. He stands with confident assurance. He lifts his eyes, raises his hands, and begins to pray, Oh God, I thank you that I am not like other men, thieves, sinners, tramps, I thank you that I am not like this other man here, this weaselly compromised tax collector. Listen to this, God. Listen to how special I am compared to others. I fast twice a week. I give a tenth to the temple of everything I own. I go above and beyond the call of duty. That's the first man, the Pharisee. The second man, the tax collector, his journey toward the temple had been very different. The steep incline wore out his leg muscles in a similar way that his conscience had been worn out because of his failures. And with every step upwards, his confidence waned. He was certain that God knew about his sin. He was certain that God is just and cannot tolerate an ounce of unrighteousness in his presence. So once he arrives to the temple, he timidly stands at a distance. Perhaps he remained in the outer corridor, normally reserved for the wretched Gentiles. Finally, he was ready to pray, but he couldn't even lift his eyes to heaven. His sense of shame weighs his head down. And then finally, in a moment of intense regret and brokenness, he beat his chest. And then he humbly spoke. God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And thus, the parable ends. Now, as we've said throughout this series, parables are most often imaginary stories Jesus is telling us, pointing to deep spiritual truths, truths that are oftentimes difficult for us to see. And the first thing we can say about this parable is that it teaches us two ways people approach God. Two ways people approach God. The first way we approach God is depicted by the Pharisee. And the parable was really spoken to address the Pharisees in Jesus' audience. In Luke 
Uh, In verse 9, Luke comments that Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And within the parable, that's the Pharisee. The Pharisee trusts that he himself is righteous, that he is acceptable before God. The Pharisee is boastfully confident before God because he is righteous in his evaluation of himself. And within his prayer, the Pharisee gives a rundown of his religious resume. He says, I fast twice a week, which was way more than the Mosaic law called for. The Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, as it's known, it's the only day of the entire year wherein Jews were required to fast. But this guy, he's fasting twice a week, which means that in one year, he's fasting over a hundred times. It's pretty impressive. He also mentions that he tithes, or gives a tenth, of everything that he has to the temple, which again was way more than lawfully necessary. So you get the idea. If religion is primarily a matter of rule keeping and religious observance, then this guy is God's all-star. But there's another side to the Pharisees' religious meticulousness. Again in verse 9, Luke comments that Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. So approaching God with confident arrogance leads to approaching others with arrogance and disdain. In other words, thinking too highly of yourself causes you to think lowly of others. So during his prayer, the Pharisee doesn't just boast about his religious accomplishments, he also compares himself to others. Verse 11, he says, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust adulterers, or even this tax collector. You see, the Pharisee was so impressed with himself that he feels the freedom to look down on others. He can justify judging others because he himself is above judgment in his own opinion. That's the first way we can approach God. Trusting in ourselves, impressed with ourselves, and arrogant towards others. And this type of attitude can often be exposed if you ask someone or ask yourself this question. If you died today and had to face God in judgment, why should he let you into his heaven? If you died today and had to face God in judgment, Why should he let you into his heaven? If you answer that question, oh, well, he should let me in because I've been a good person. I've tried to be a good person. I gave money to the church and to charities. I tried to be honest in my business, didn't cheat on my spouse, regularly attended religious observances like Sunday worship and other things. If you answer that question that way, then ultimately you're approaching God just like the Pharisee. You're trusting in yourself. You're trusting in your own righteousness. You're trusting in your own religious observances to make you acceptable before God. And if it's not happening already, trusting in yourself like this is going to cause you to look down on others, to judge others, despise others because they're not as good as you. 
But there is another way to approach God. And the second way of approaching God is exemplified by the tax collector. Jesus tells us about the tax collector starting in verse 13. He says, But the tax collector, standing far off, Now, the tax collector's hesitation and timidity, standing far off like this, it's in stark contrast to the confident boldness of the Pharisee. The tax collector stands at a distance. In other words, he isn't presumptuous that he can just bust right into God's holy presence and think, of course God will accept me. Several years ago, my family and I traveled to um, New York City. And we went to a restaurant one night, and we saw a famous athlete named Donovan McNabb. And uh, you may not know him now because he's been uh, off the playing field for several years, but then he was pretty famous. He was a pro bowler. He played in the Super Bowl as well. And my younger brother, Michael, uh, was with me in this restaurant when we saw McNabb. Michael, being confident in himself... And socially skilled, he just walks right up to McNabb and starts talking to him, this famous athlete, like it's nothing, like he's a normal dude. But not me, not most people, right? I went close enough where I could see McNabb, but I didn't presume to walk up to him and think, oh yeah, this guy will accept me. No, I stood at a distance. That's the tax collector in this scenario. He knows that God is too big. God is too holy. God is too awesome that I would just pretentiously, self-assuredly walk into his house, into his presence. Now, this next description of the tax collector's approach to God is quite sobering. In verse 13, Jesus continues. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven. Now, what this tells us about the tax collector is that he had a sense of shame. You remember in Genesis chapter 2, before sin came into the world, the Bible tells us that Adam and Eve were naked and without shame. And then in Genesis chapter 3, as soon as sin comes into the world, they cover themselves. They make fig leaves, and in their shame, they cover themselves. They refuse to reveal all of who they are to one another and to God. And so it is here with the tax collector. He hangs his head in shame and covers his face from God's presence. I've seen something similar with my own children in their young lives, when they do something that makes them feel shame, like wetting the bed and stinking up their room or spilling their drink and ruining the sofa or doing something disobedient and being confronted by it, when they do something like this, they'll quickly bury their hands in their head and turn downwards like this. Their sense of failure, their sense of unworthiness, their sense of shame, causes them to cover up. And I didn't teach them that. It's just inside of them. And that's the tax collector. He approaches God's presence with an awareness of his sin, with an awareness of his brokenness. He approaches God with an amount of shame, so he hangs his head. 
Finally, and perhaps most powerfully, Jesus tells us about this, about the tax collector's approach to God. Verse 13, the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast. Now, this word translated here as beat, it's not like a soft tapping. It's a forceful, violent kind of strike. And for the tax collector to do this was this raw and powerful sign of his humiliation and utter brokenness before God. Far from trusting in himself, far from being impressed with himself, he beat himself. And then at last, this humbled, broken man prays. And here's his prayer, end of verse 13. It's very short compared to the Pharisees. All he says is, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So the tax collector, again, in stark contrast to the Pharisee, he doesn't pray about all that he's done for God. Instead, he prays about what he needs God to do for him, namely, show him mercy. And the tax collector doesn't boast in his righteous status as compared to others like the Pharisee did. Instead, he just owns it. I'm a sinner. I've blown it. I continue to blow it. I'm no better than anybody else. That's the spirit behind the tax collector's prayer. So those are the two different ways we can approach God. Trusting in ourselves like the Pharisee or trusting in the mercy of God like the tax collector. We can attempt to go to God on our own power, on our own righteousness, or we can approach God with complete humility and brokenness. And so now, here's the climax of this parable. Jesus has laid out these two approaches to God. He's laid out these two fundamentally opposed and contrasting ways of approaching God. So which does Jesus approve? Which does Jesus give the thumbs up to? What's his evaluation of these two different ways of approaching God. That's the tension around which this whole passage builds, and that tension is solved in the last verse of this section, and here's what we learn. The way of the kingdom is a matter of the heart. The way of the kingdom is a matter of the heart. Look at verse 14. After Jesus lays out this parable, after Jesus lays out these two ways of approaching God, he says this in verse 14. I tell you, this man, referring to the tax collector, which he had just finished talking about, this man, the tax collector, he went down from the temple to his house, justified rather than the other. So Jesus leaves no question about it. The man who is humbled before God, in this case the tax collector, the one who is humbled before God is justified before God. And the man who justified himself, the man who trusted that he was righteous, the Pharisee, he went home rejected. He went home not justified before God, but under God's judgment. Now, it's important to ask here, what does to be justified mean? And here's what we can say. For Jesus to say that the tax collector was justified means that despite his sins and failures, God declared him righteous in his sight. Even though the tax collector had done all sorts of unrighteous things, because of his humble faith, God mercifully declared him righteous in his sight. God accepts broken, sinful, this broken, sinful man because 
he acknowledges that he is a broken, sinful man. And in the second half of verse 14, Jesus just reemphasizes this point. He says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and everyone who humbles himself will be exalted. You see, this was the problem for the Pharisee. It's the same problem for everyone who approaches God like the Pharisee. They're exalting themselves. He was impressed with himself. He was trusting in himself. Jesus says that sort of arrogance and presumption and self-reliance is a recipe for destruction. Those who have a condescending, superior attitude in this life are going to be humble and inferior in the next. But those who are humble in this life will be honored in the next. Those who are lowly on earth will be exalted in heaven. And this is the exact opposite as we would think, right? Because on earth, appearances are everything. Blessed are the popular. Blessed are the rich and famous. Exalted are the celebrities. Exalted are the super spiritual and religiously devoted. But in the kingdom of heaven, appearances are nothing. The heart is everything. On the outside, the tax collector had everything going against him. Politically, he had allied with the Roman oppressors. Morally, they had a reputation of taxing people more than was due and taking extra for themselves. You remember Zacchaeus from Luke 19? Spiritually, they had betrayed Moses' law and were not even welcome in temple. Politically, morally, spiritually, by all accounts, on appearances, tax collectors were a wreck. But this man's heart was broken. He was humiliated before God because of his sin. He was ashamed of his past transgressions. And so God accepted him. God justified him. And so this leads us to ask, what qualifies you? What qualifies you as you come before God this morning? Are you trusting in your church attendance? Are you relying on your tithing? Are you confident in your moral record? Are you presumptuous as you approach God? And has this led you to look down on others? Maybe you look down on others because of their different ethnic background. Maybe you look down on others because of their different lifestyle. Maybe you look down on them because of their different political views. Maybe you look down on them because they're so lost and morally confused. If any of these things described you, it could be an inclination that your heart has slipped into trusting in yourself. It could be that you are relying on the appearance of your religious devotion and good morals. If you died today, if you stood before God today, what would qualify you to enter into his presence? Well, Jesus' parable is a warning against the arrogance of self-reliance, and it's an encouragement to humble ourselves before God. It's an encouragement for us to throw ourselves on his mercy. It's an encouragement to acknowledge that we are just as jacked up as any foreigner, as any criminal, as any cheater, as any sexual deviant, as any prostitute. Before God, we are all equally bankrupt, totally, completely dependent upon his grace. 
That kind of all-out reliance upon God's mercy and that kind of all-out repentance from self-reliance qualifies you to be justified before God and accepted into his presence. Because when we're trusting in the mercy of God, we are trusting in mercy that flows from the cross of Christ. There on the cross, Jesus' appearance was awful. He was stripped, he was beaten, he was crucified for our sin. In Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 through 3, this is how the prophet describes the crucified Messiah. He says that he had no form or majesty that we should even look at him. He had no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men. He was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. He was as one from whom men hid their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. By all appearances, Jesus was nothing to look at. He was defeated. He was rejected. He was dead. But... In Jesus' gruesome death on our behalf, the floodgates of God's mercy have been opened up for those of us who trust not in ourselves and what we can do, but trust in Christ and what he has done for us and dying for our sins. Jesus was humiliated on the cross and he was exalted in his resurrection so that we who humble ourselves before God will likewise be exalted to newness of life. It's easy for us to get caught up in appearances. It's easy for us to believe that those who appear righteous and religious and spiritual and moral are qualified before God. But what this parable teaches us is that the heart matters. More than our religious or spiritual resume, matters of the heart are what matter to God. Humility, brokenness, repentance, trust, lowliness, selflessness. A willingness to serve one another, compassion towards people not like you, mercy for the broken. These are the matters of the heart that matter to God. So how are you approaching God this morning? What are you relying upon to qualify you before God? Church, like this tax collector, let's fall on the mercy of God. And let's confess the truth that more than religious experts, more than self-sufficient, strong men and women, we are broken, weak, needy sinners. If that's your heart this morning, if the cry of your heart is, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, then through the cross of Christ, you will go home completely justified and totally accepted before God. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Church, let's stand as we sing our song of response. And I'll pray for us before we do that. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning humbled. 
humbled this morning by the hardness of our own hearts that your word and your spirit reveal. Move in us, God, to reveal the ways that we have been arrogant as we've approached you. Reveal in us, God, the ways that we have approached others with arrogance, trusting in ourselves. Lord, our hearts are deceitful. And so I pray, God, that you would do a powerful work by your Holy Spirit in each one of us and help us to see the cross where Jesus was humiliated, where Jesus was humbled, where Jesus' appearance was gruesome. And yet, there on the cross, we find forgiveness, we find mercy, we find a hope for new life. So Spirit, stir in our hearts now as we respond to the grace of the gospel. May we cry out in honesty about who we are, broken men and women, infected by sin all the way down. And we need you, God, to have mercy. Hear us, Lord, as we pray and sing. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together this week. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and to get you connected to the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org forward slash connect to introduce yourself today.